0: Welcome to this edition of the Xamarin Podcast. I'm Piers Hogan, and I'm going by Xamarin developer evangelist Mike James. Mike, how's it going up in the UK? I guess it's, is it up in the UK? I guess it's like kind of up in the UK. Across? Across and up. up. in the UK?
1: Because you're in Texas, aren't you? Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, so you're, you're kind of South in America. I don't want to say South America because you're definitely not. But yeah, so it's across and up, but it's going really well. I programmed my lights today, so it's been a huge achievement on my part. It's only taken six months to get everything working properly. So thank you, Lutron, for having the most complex user guide in the world. But it's all done. So is this is this HomeKit enabled or is this just program lights? What is this? Um, so it's not HomeKit enabled. Like an animal, I have to go and touch a wall panel. Oh, horrible. They they call it a wall station as well. Uh, It's not even a light switch. But what they do have is the control unit has IR, um, but the builders of the house went and put that in a cupboard. So I can't even sit on my sofa and use a remote to turn the lights on and off. So I'm thinking of putting a Wi-Fi-enabled HomeKit-enabled IR broadcaster in the cupboard with the control unit so that from my iPhone I could then turn the lights off or you know, change the scene because it's programmable by scenes and zones. Um, But it's nasty, nasty technology. Just go out and buy Philips Hughes if you want to do, you know, intelligent lighting.
0: Yeah, the only thing about the Philips Hughes, though, is they're pretty pricey for HomeKit enabled. It's like 199 for a set, isn't
1: it? Yeah, they're not cheap and they're actually not HomeKit enabled just yet. Um, You'll probably need to get, uh, you know, an accessory device because they can't update the... HomeKit is about uh, hardware integration and they can't update the the hardware without, you know, having to you ship off and then send back or go out and buy something new. So I'm not sure how they're going to do their HomeKit integration. But we've digressed. This is a Xamarin podcast and all of a sudden we've talked about lighting.
0: Yeah, so shifting gears very drastically uh, to Visual Studio on July 20th. Microsoft announced what had been in preview for a while, Visual Studio 2015.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been using this as my primary IDE for the last three or four weeks because I've been working on a demo for Microsoft, the my Shuttle demo. They wanted to be able to show off Apple Watch with C Sharp. And so that was handed over to me to make that reality. And if you caught the launch video with Amanda talking about all the new exciting features of VS 2015, you would have seen the storyboard, which was something I lovingly created uh, one evening uh, for Microsoft. But I've also actually been implementing a couple of bits and bobs and uh, getting their existing project migrated from the classic 32-bit API up to Unified because um, I didn't realize at the time when I sent it all over that they were using the classic API. Um, and actually, if you're if you're still shipping on the classic API, you really should have already upgraded. Um, but it was super simple on on that huge project, and it really is a huge project. So it's a couple of clicks and uh, probably about 20, 30 minutes worth of tweaking code because of you know the new get packages have changed, and there are some breaking API changes in Office 365 that I had to fix, but super easy. My
0: shuttle is a pretty cool demo too isn't it like a uh, Uber like clone and the client app is built with Xamarin
1: correct That's exactly right so it is a it's a taxi application I'm not sure you could say it's an Uber like clone because in terms of functionality it kind of does what Uber does but in terms of user experience I still prefer Uber <laughs> uh, uh but yeah so the client app is built entirely with Xamarin so they're using this C# code base with their core functionality They've got an Azure backend, um, and then they built the the driver app using Cordova. Um, so I think their thinking behind it was that, you know, the drivers are using the app to make money, so we don't really care about the experience that they have, so we'll go with hybrid. But the clients, you know, they expect a high-quality application, so we have to go native. So they built that using Xamarin, and then they still get all the code sharing uh, because they're reusing that possible class library. So it's a pretty cool example. If you've got a taxi company or you work for a transport company, then you should go and check it out. It's completely open source. Um, And we should be releasing an updated version, I think at some point in August, um, with all of the changes that Microsoft have been making, um, and then the Apple Watch and the Unified API thrown in there as well.
0: Awesome. I'll have to check that out. And then there's also an exciting announcement that was kind of also pre-announced, but Xamarin is now included in the Visual Studio 2015 installer. So when you download the Visual Studio 2015 installer, if you click the custom install button and you tick the Xamarin option, and you click install, all the bits you need to start mobile development in c Sharp for iOS, Android, and Windows will already be on your machine. So that's, that's great news. It, it's easier than ever to get started building apps for iOS and Android from Visual Studio thanks to that. Xamarin also announced today, on Thursday, July 22nd, that some new dates have been announced for Xamarin Dev Days. So if you don't know what Xamarin Dev Days are, Xamarin Dev Days is a free community event filled with some sessions that are going to teach you a little bit about what Xamarin is and some hands-on mobile C-sharp learning. And we've had a ton of events over the past few months. I went to one in Atlanta. James Montemagno and Jamie Singleton have been traveling all over the United States with a whole bunch of great dev days dates and cities across the U.S. But up until now, the dev days in Europe has been somewhat limited.
1: What well, is It's been non-existent up until it's now. It's been
0: non-existent. I guess that still falls under the category of limited technically. But good news in this latest announcement, if you live in the UK, there's a date scheduled for Birmingham. So that's exciting. Uh, Birmingham, UK, not Birmingham, Alabama, where I live. And then there's also some dates announced for the United States. So Philadelphia, New York, Madison, Jacksonville, Miami, and Boston. If you live in or near any one of these cities, go to xamarin.com forward slash dev dash days and uh, make sure you reserve a spot at one of these cool events. These are totally free. They're great opportunities to learn more about what Xamarin is. Get some hands-on learning and talk to Xamarin developer evangelists like James Montemagno
1: or like you, Mike. Yeah, and it's worth saying that you know we are rolling this out across Europe. Um, Jamie and myself have been talking to various group leaders throughout, uh, throughout the continent in order to get this rolled out. Um, so don't fear, Birmingham is the start, uh, but we will be very likely coming to a city near you uh, if you live on the mainland continent. So it's happening. Very excited. It's happening! Woo! Uh, so as well as that, uh, last week, I think it was last week, we announced the iOS preview. Uh, for iOS 9. Um, So we've got all these new APIs that we can start taking uh, advantage of, which is pretty exciting. Um, It's worth noting that if you're already shipping uh, an app built with Xamarin today, you need to make sure that you're on the latest stable version and you rebuild and submit your application uh, so that any users that are using iOS 9, and let's not forget that this is a public beta, so there's people out there that aren't developers that don't understand why an app might be crashing and why you might have some issues in a pre-release OS. Um, Yeah, you're going to need to make sure that you rebuild for iOS 9 with this latest stable. Um, Super easy to do. You can literally just download the stable, hit rebuild, boom, throw it into the app store. You're good to go for iOS 9. Um, But that's going to help you avoid getting, you know, it don't work uh, app reviews, um, which is what we want to always try and avoid.
0: And also on that app review front, when you're using a beta apple announced today that users won't be able to leave reviews if they're using a preview so all those using the ios 9 beta right now actually won't be able to leave reviews on your ios app saying it don't work so
1: that won't happen anymore that that is good news it's great news because
0: it literally can destroy your app ratings like it can take a five star app all the way down to like a two or one star app depending on how many downloads you have so that's great news unfortunately mac the mac Mac uh app store was left out to dry. If you're using uh <laughs> one of the newer, if you're using the uh Mac OS X preview, people can still leave negative reviews on your application. So, El Capitan still can't believe that's what they called it. But.
1: Yeah, nor uh, can I. I can't I can't help but say it with an accent. I I don't think I'm capable of saying it with a British accent. Um, yeah. Is it, but it's interesting with the Mac app store. You know. There aren't a huge amount of apps on there at the moment, um, and I don't think it's going grow, to grow hugely. So I can kind of see why Apple are focused on iOS, because that's you know, where most developers are targeting and complaining about this issue of it don't work. Really. Totally.
0: Speaking of it so. don't work, today if you downloaded the podcast or maybe you were delighted to see that you were subscribed to the podcast and there's a new episode up today, the title of this podcast is Building Apps for a Connected World nearly all applications have some sort of online experience. That could be maybe you're calling a RESTful API to get something like uh, weather information. Maybe you're using an SDK to connect to a mobile backend service like we talked about in the last podcast. Maybe something like Azure Mobile Services, Oracle Mobile Cloud Services, or Facebook's Parse. All of these have some sort of online network component. But there there can be many problems when you, when you get the network involved. And today we're going to talk about what those problems are and how you can approach these problems one by one and bring your app from maybe a three-star app to a five-star app just by tackling these connectivity issues that may be plaguing your application.
1: Yeah, I mean, so many developers just assume, you know, when, when they're writing their app on their desktop computer or on their laptop connected to the Wi-Fi and they're testing it there in the simulator and they're going, oh, this works flawlessly. This is so good. And it's, you know, They're in the best connected situation that a mobile device could ever be. And actually, most of the time when you're out and about, you don't have that luxury of a constant connection of high-speed internet. You've got limitations which a lot of people aren't developing for, those kind of scenarios. Um, And, you know, a lot of these services that provide the backends have some kind of ability to help you. But there are certainly a number of steps that you can take in order to to beef up on that, and make it you know a really rock solid application. Uh, and I you know I was reading online uh, about different approaches to building applications, and I read one one guy was saying that when he builds applications that need to be cross platform, he puts all of his logic in the cloud. Everything. So his the app that he ships to the device almost does nothing. He's just sending packets off to, to his web server that's processing this information and then it's returning it back down to his app to, to display. And I was thinking, you know, when I go down to a pub and I'm sat in the basement drinking my beers and I take a photo of the beer and I want to upload it to my beer drinking app, how does he expect that to work? You know, because I'm not going to have internet. I'm not going to be able to push that data up into the cloud. Um, so his app is just going to be unusable in so many situations. Um, so... Building, you know, responsive applications that work offline and work in these limited connectivity situations is, uh, as Peter said, how you deliver a five-star experience.
0: Right. And I mean, I know, like, I live in a area where I have the fastest mobile internet that you could possibly get pretty much in my, in my area of the country. But if I walk down into my basement, like you said, I totally lose all that. And I almost can't connect to the internet at all. It's not like this is a super edge case scenario. This is probably something your users are experiencing daily. And even if you handle maybe the, the low connectivity environments, the no connectivity environments as well, you may want to be able to approach low connectivity environments such as maybe where people are using uh, slower internet speeds. I know that some applications now that are being shipped and, and some companies that are going to market right now are taking huge advantage of emerging markets in Asia, in Africa, in South America. And a lot of times you're not going to have top of the line mobile speed. And so your app also should be able to function in these low and no connectivity environments. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what our approach is for handling these things, how you can take that app from three to five stars. And good news, it's extremely easy to fix all the problems we just talked about. You can spend uh, maybe just as little as an hour and fix all of the problems with your network connection, depending on your type of app. So today we're going to detail a little bit about that. And I have to give a shout out to Rob Gibbons, who's a Xamarin University instructor. He's written what I consider to be, if, if there was a mobile development Bible, and there's the different books of the Bible, there's the old, I don't know what would can constitute the Old and New Testament, but in, the, in one of the testaments, we would, have a, we would have a book that was on network services and connectivity and connecting to network services. And Rob has written this post. And it details everything you need to know from easy access to restful services, getting fast response times, working in these low connectivity or offline environments, and handling errors. And so he's written this blog post on network services with Xamarin. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. But today, we kind of want to go through some of the strategies that he outlines for handling these types of situations. So Mike, what are kind of the goals when we talk about connectivity? What, what do we want to ensure that our application can handle and does?
1: Well, well. First of all, you want your application to to be responsive. You still want it to be fast, even when you know you're in this low connectivity situation. Um, and some of the things that you can do in that kind of situation is use caching of data that you've already queried for. So, within the context of the beer drinking application I'm writing, I use Akavache, that so that when I'm doing my request off to the brewery DB service. Uh, I'm asking it, you know, do I have this stored in the cache, this URL, which is a search query for the particular beer I'm, I'm searching for. And if I do, it's just going to return the cache version of the JSON that would have come back from the, the server. And if I haven't searched for that and it's not in the local cache, it's going to go actually go out and, and fetch that information for me. So still being really fast and responsive, despite, you know, am I connected, am I not, is, is pretty important, I would say. Um, but also dealing with not being connected. So you know you can set your timeout on your you you know go get this bit of data asynchronously, and you set a timeout, and you know you can set that to three or five seconds. But those three or five seconds, you you've you've got to be doing something to the for the user to be able to understand that you're you're fetching information and give them some kind of update on what's happening. Um, so you know, I. I now do this just by default. When I'm doing any network-based app, the first thing I do in the solution is I go ahead and I grab the connectivity plugin. And I think James Antomagno built this. Is that right? That's right. And the connectivity plugin, just a simple
0: cross-platform plugin. It's a plugin for Xamarin. It'll check the connection status. So are you connected? The connection type, maybe you're connected over Wi-Fi or LTE, 3G, and the bandwidth. So it'll check the speed as well. And all this is in a super simple API. You can literally just access a property and you can even subscribe to like an event that'll tell you, hey, the
1: connectivity status has changed. Yeah, so just the most useful plugin that I add to any Xamarin based app to just discover, you know, what is my current network connectivity? Because if I don't have any network, then even for the most simply simple of demos, I'm not going to want to go and try and execute any code to go and fetch data from a server because I can't connect to it. I may as well just skip that entire process, skip the three second timeout and just display straight to the user. Hey, you're not connected to the Internet. I can't do this request.
0: Yeah. After you check, hey, we are connected with maybe something like the connectivity plugin for Xamarin. You want to actually create a request, and grab a response from whatever web service you're using. So the typical stack, I would say, for C sharp developers is maybe something along the lines of HTTP client and JSON.net. Obviously, there's alternatives like REST sharp and to create and send requests and grab back data, and things like service stack.txt to deserialize it. But I would say that's probably like the default stack for accessing RESTful services with Xamarin. But there's actually a really cool library that Paul Betts, who we're going to be talking about a lot today. Paul is maybe the most amazing developer I think I've ever seen. If there's a library, he's probably built it. But the library in particular that I've been using a lot of lately, I'm building a weather client. And the interface for the web service that I'm calling, for the RESTful service, is extremely simple. It doesn't require a lot of stuff with me messing with the HTTP request for me messing with tokens or anything like that. It's pretty straight up. I just make the request, I get a response, and I deserialize it. For things like that, refit, which is a library by Paul Betts, is a great library to use. So all you have to do is define an interface for the API you're calling. So like maybe, for example, I'm trying to access the GitHub API. So I define just an interface like API, And then for each method, I would attach a little attribute. There would just be a little HTTP attribute. So I would have like git, whatever, mostly git and then the relative URL. And then all you have to do is pass this to a class called REST service, along with a, a implementation of HTTP client. So just var client equals new HTTP client. And you have an API built for GitHub in literally just a minute. It's, it's the most amazing library I've ever used. It handles all the actually making a request, grabbing it, deserializing it, it handles all that for you. Like I said, it may not be the best for complex APIs, but for most restful APIs, more simpler APIs, it's great and it saves a lot of developer time and it still delivers a great product.
1: Yeah, and it, it you know, it takes away the complexity of having to deal with that kind of low level, how do I go and fetch this data and deserialize it? It's just that, you know, a real high level abstraction so that you can focus on, you know, creating a great user experience rather than, you know, how do I go and fetch this data. Um but as I mentioned before about Akavatch, you know you go in, you go and get this information from the server with you know refit and it returns the objects to you you want to store that locally you want to store that to the device and Akavatch is uh, a database and caching solution which is 100% cross platform so you can target you know windows desktop you can target Xamarin Mac Xamarin iOS Xamarin Android it makes your app so much faster because it doesn't necessarily have to go and use your network connectivity to go and fetch this information. It can query the local database to say, "Do I have this information?" And you can put timeouts on it, so you can say, "You know, I want a perfect example of this." You've got a Twitter application that you've built. You want to store the, store the avatar for the users. Well, they're going to change a lot less than you know uh, the tweets of that user. So you can put a timeout or how, when you want it to expire the the avatar to be like you know a week or two weeks. So every two weeks it's going to look into the the list or the database of avatars and it will say, well these have expired. I'll go and refetch these. Uh, these haven't expired. Well, I'll just return the ones that we've got in the database for you. And that way, you know, you're significantly bringing down the amount of web traffic that you need to do. Um, so. You, with Acrobat, you can really decide, you know, how important is having the latest and greatest version of this data versus, you know, can I just keep the version that I've got stored here for a couple of weeks? Is this good enough? Or even a couple of hours, you know, in the Brewery DB app I'm building uh, to, to see how many beers I'm drinking, you know, the beers aren't going to change this huge amount. So I store them for three days. Because chances are you've got a favorite beer that you just keep drinking over and over again. So I'll keep it in the cache for three days. And when you do that same search, boom, it just arrives. And it really is lightning fast.
0: Yeah. As far as Akavash is concerned, you've been talking about there's two main methods. And the one you've been talking about a lot is get or fetch object, which basically is going to grab something from the cache. If it's not there, it'll go fetch it with a function that you provide. Uh, So that would probably just be like a method to. Uh, your restful service and then it'll cache the results from that. Like you said, you can set timeouts and all these cool things and that's great for things that don't change often. They also have a method called get and fetch latest, which is going to say, okay, I understand that there's going to be some things that are cached, but but you're also probably going to want to get the latest data. So if you want that responsive, you want the user open maybe for example, we've been talking about Twitter, a Twitter app, and you want them to see all the tweets they've already seen immediately while you fetch the latest. Akavash is going to say, okay, we have some data in the cache already. We'll go ahead and show that. But let's go ahead and get the latest tweets as well. And so when it pulls that down, it'll update the cache and also update the user interface to reflect that. So that's pretty amazing. And all this is just encapsulated in these two methods. So there's no complexity. Like, it's literally as simple as calling two methods. So there's really no reason not to use something like Akavash in your application. It also has a secure blob. So if you're, serv- if you're storing things, maybe like account information, you can store that in that. Akavash, definitely recommend it for almost any application. But in terms of increasing speed as well, there's another great library called Modern HTTP Client.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you've got all these web requests happening uh, and, you know, you're using Mono as the networking stack to go and do those fetches of that data. And Apple and Google have spent a lot of time optimising their network stack for their platform. And you can get some pretty significant performance gains in terms of networking by using something called Modern HTTP Client. Um, so I, I think this is Paul Betts again. It is Paul Betts. Yeah. Um, so Paul, Paul Betts really is prolific. He writes the most amazing libraries. Um, I can't think of one project that I shipped that doesn't use a library by Paul Betts. So... If you're a Xamarin developer, just go and check out that guy's GitHub. You're going to find so many useful resources. But anyway, back to modern HTTP client. Um, so it's it's a library that abstracts the you know native implementation of the networking stack. Uh, it, it's basically the same kind of code that you've been using for standard .NET and C#, but it's using the underlying networking stack rather than the mono network stack, um, which because, you know, Apple and Google have spent so much time uh, investing in making it super optimized, you get these, and I've seen it very significant performance increases by using modern HTTP client. And it is so easy to add this to your application. That, again, there's no reason not to. Yeah, implementing it is literally as simple as, you know, grabbing the
0: NuGet package. And when you new it up, all you do is you pass in this, native message handler, an instance of that to HTTP client. That's literally the only thing you have to do. It's a line change and it can drastically increase the speed at which your application yep. handles networking requests. Really no reason not to use modern HTTP client.
1: Yeah, and this is what I actually really like about the libraries that Paul Betts is creating, is that they're, they're giving you a lot of you know heavy lifting, but in terms of the code you're writing, it really is just kind of one method two lines of code here and there you know you're not doing a great deal to get use of these huge productivity and performance increases um yeah so i'm a huge fan huge fan
0: moving on to yet another paul betts library that i'm a huge fan of which i'm gonna absolutely butcher the name of i believe it's pronounced fusilade or fuel salon or something <laughs> like that you still od- Mike, you got a guess?
1: Nope, I'm, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> hearing away you say from that. <laughs> Generally,
0: his libraries all have really pronounceable names, but this one's been giving me some issue. Whatever the name of this library is, it's an opinionated HTTP library for mobile development. So basically, in all the things we've been talking about so far, all of our web requests are created equal. They're going to be fighting with each other. But in real life, are they really? Some things are definitely more important in our application than others. Fusilati will remove duplicate, it does a lot of things, but one of the things it does really well is it removes duplicate requests. So, we so we've been using this Twitter client example, and I'll keep it going. Say, for example, you're fetching tweets, and you keep fetching the same avatar image to display in the tweet cell. Well, Fusilati will realize, hey, you've been grabbing this a lot. We only need to grab it one time, and then we'll re- just return that request every time that it asks for it. Um, So it's smart enough to remove all these duplicate requests, which, like you said, it's going to speed it up because we're making less requests as a result. It can also do request limiting. So you can issue lots of requests without overwhelming the network connection. So maybe you want to make five requests at one time. Well, it can do some request limiting and figure out what's the best way to do that. Prioritization, background tasks, things like uploading some data to a web service that's not super high priority, doesn't really impact the user. Something like that would have a low prioritization but maybe something like refreshing the Twitter feed, we want that to have a super high prioritization because the user initiated that action. Fusilade can say that user initiating that Twitter feed request, it's much more important than this background update. So we're gonna do that first. Fusilade is a great library for differentiating between all these different requests, which if you have a lot of different requests that aren't created equal, you could see significant gains just by using this library. And again, Paul Betts, like Mike said, gonna be a super simple API to use. Just a few lines to get it implemented, and you're going to see massive results from it.
1: Yeah, and uh, on on top of that, you know, working offline is pretty important. You know, we we've just outlined some ways that you can deal with these low connectivity issues or you know slow connectivity. Um, but when you've got no connectivity, most apps still need to do something. You know, if I pull up the weather app on my iPhone, even when I'm not connected, it shows me something. It's going to show me the weather that I saw last time. And then maybe it's going to try and update and fill in the blanks. But uh, there's very few apps that I can think of where you launch them in an unconnected world and it's just going to literally do nothing and throw an error and be like, come back later. So offline, working offline is pretty essential to to delivering a a high quality app. And there's libraries out there that can really help you with this. So I know Pierce has used uh, the Microsoft offline syncing. That comes with AMS, so Azure Mobile Services, and this is something I'm starting to look into as well uh, for the beer drinking application. Um, But I know of other companies that also have libraries that can help you in this, such as uh, Convey, which are based in Boston. I've been looking at their Xamarin bindings, and actually their Xamarin bindings are really, really nice. They've got an API for caching and then another line of code, and you've got offline sync implemented as well. Um, And they do all of the back end just like AMS for you. Um, So there's, you know, multiple cloud service providers that give you this offline sync. Um, Now, you can roll your own. But doing offline for one device is pretty easy. It's that word sync where this becomes really difficult. Um, So, and this this is something that I I consider rolling out, you know, my own version of. But when I start to investigate just the complexities of, you know it's, storing it just on my iPhone easy when I have my iPad into this and you know I go to my iPad I add a beer when I come back to my iPhone I need my iPhone to then you know have synced with the iPad but I've also added some items on the iPhone that aren't on the iPad and I need to push these up into the cloud do a comparison between which is the latest which is the oldest maybe I've added the same beer twice but I've added different photos and different reviews how do I merge that information? I was just like, this is, you know, this isn't a realm that I want to go down. Um, so I would always recommend, you know, go with AMS, uh, go with Convey, go with a, a cloud provider that can do offline sync for you rather than rolling your own, um, because it really is just so much heavy lifting that you're going to end up writing when there are services out there that have been developed by people whose entire jobs uh, to focus on how to synchronize data between different databases Um, i should add if i wasn't building this as a cross-platform app if i only wanted to sync my data from iphone to ipad then i would totally just use icloud and i think this is overlooked by a lot of xamarin developers as a you know a credible cloud storage solution for ios if you're just building xamarin ios solutions don't forget you can use iCloud to store all this information. The API is super simple. You don't have to go and use a third party. Just keep it on the device.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. A lot of times there's no need to reinvent the wheel. All these awesome mobile backend providers we talked about in our last podcast, but like you said, most of them have offline sync, that sort of thing. Anyways, there's really no reason to roll your own. As far as handling errors, things are going to go wrong. Naturally, the internet is a very complex creature. And when things do go wrong, there's a great library called poly, which I actually was unfamiliar with until I read this blog post, but it seems pretty cool with it. You can establish all these exception handling policies, um, such as retry, retry forever, wait and retry, that sort of thing. And so if there is a problem, you can say, okay, maybe we can try and reconnect in two seconds, or we can try and reconnect in four seconds. And you can continue to do this rather than maybe if your application doesn't have this sort of thing. It just dies and the user has to reinitiate it, or maybe your application just continues to request it until it happens. Poly will handle both of those situations for you flawlessly. I'm really excited about this library. I'm going to have to look at implementing it in all my applications moving forward. Just because network stuff can be so flaky, something's going to go wrong, and uh, Poly seems like a great library to
1: use. Yeah, I can't can't believe I've not added Poly to my existing projects already. This is mind-blowingly amazing Woo! The fact that, you know throw an exception we're just going to keep retrying um if we want yeah
0: that's it for our podcast on building apps for a connected world but if you want to learn more we have some great docs on web services you can obviously check out blog post by rob gibbons that we discussed a lot today for if you want to see specific case examples of how he did it with his conference app that he's built And then if you're using Xamarin University, there's a class on web services and a class on rolling your own caching. So if you're interested in either one of those topics, those are great classes to check out. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Xamarin Podcast. I'm Pierce Bogan. And I'm Mike James. Thanks for listening.